Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. <laughs> Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries before their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson. A man with a mission. Oh, gnarly. Linda Barrett. Not exactly the girl next door. Awesome. Totally awesome. And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on moods should not drive. Times at Ridgemont High. episode with Amy Heckerling. We've been waiting a long time for this, and it's no exception. We are talking about the director of Fast Times Richmond High, the writer of Clueless and director, the director of European Vacation, the director of Look Who's Talking, and a bunch of other stuff, which is quite fascinating, again, for multiple reasons, which we will all talk about today. And she is a terrific person, and I cannot believe she was kind enough to grant us with a conversation um, today. It's uh, it's really terrific. I, I, I can't even believe she's on. So <laughs> let's get started and bring her in, ladies and gentlemen, the one we've been waiting for on the night fly for two years, Amy Heckerman. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. I am sorry I've been so annoying at trying to put this together, but you're one of my heroes. <laughs> okay. You know, it's true, though. Um, and, uh, you know, I was talking, I had Violet on the show uh, like a year or so ago. Yeah. And she was so terrific. And, uh, yeah, she told me, uh, well, I can put you in touch with uh, Amy. She's really great. And, 
You really are. I but love I know Violet. I've been... She's the best. I've known her since she was this size. Yeah, right. And I mean, she was so nice. And it was funny. She goes, I don't have anything to say. And I'm like, well, that's okay. I talk enough for both of us. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I just like to- I just like telling people how much I like them. So you know, nobody um, really needs to say anything. Yes. Um, <laughs> Violet is my mommy's sister. Oh, it's my mommy's sister, right? That, that makes her an aunt. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> what is your granddaughter's name? That one. This is Harper. Harper, uh, my friend Sarah Silverman's old roommate from the 90s, named her daughter Harper as well. That's a great name. It reminds <laughs> you of the Paul Newman movie. <laughs> right. Um, but the, uh, the, but uh, the reason, uh, first of all, I wanted to say congratulations because I was talking to Molly. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, that's the third person I know that had a baby during COVID. That was, Very yeah, pretty cool. Um, and, uh, you know, she had it in the house and just with a, a do. Doula, how do you say yeah, that word? A doula, I think that is what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was telling, I was talking to Mel Brooks, who's you know in L.A., and I said, "Do I, I have a baby in the house?" He goes, "That's what everybody did. Like you know, in the old days, that's what you did." This Mel Brooks you speak of is he talented as well? Or no, I'm just making fun because <laughs> it's just just so funny. Yeah, I was talking to Mel Brooks. Uh, but the funny, I guess I just said I was talking to Sarah Silverman, so I guess it's the same. It's not really the same, well, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's exciting, of course. Um, it's funny when you're asking Mel Brooks about, uh, you know, what do you think about childbirth and COVID? Uh, <laughs> it was like, you know, people always had babies in the house. That was how you did it. Yeah, I guess people have forgotten about that. And I think I guess they feel safer. My friend Rachel Feinstein is also a, a comedian and friends with Amy Schumer had her baby. They wanted her to have it at the house, but she didn't feel comfortable with it. So they had to move her to about three different hospitals where they'd finally let her husband, who is a, a fireman, a fire chief, uh, come in with her. They had to wow. move her three different times. And then they yeah. finally had a, a nice, healthy baby, thank God. But so that's good that your daughter had. But, I, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough call. We're not used to yeah. having it at home anymore. No, and also... Um... You know, but there was a whole, you know, reemergence of the whole, you know, having babies more naturally than in hospitals and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't like it came out of nowhere. People have been doing this for a while. They've experienced, you know, midwives. Um, And, uh, yeah, everybody was this was at the height of the first New York surge. So just didn't seem worth the risk. Yeah, that's the strange part. I haven't heard about anyone that's had one since. Everybody I know had it in March, April, and May. Like, just at the at the height of it. I don't know anybody. Three girls I know, women, yeah. that had them. And uh, it's just so strange. Anyway, uh, the reason that I wanted you on the show is because about two years ago, when everybody was talking about uh, Wonder Woman, the movie, and Patty Jenkins mm-hmm. not being nominated for an Oscar, it always irked me. Because I was like, why, why aren't we talking about Amy Heckerling in this <laughs> category? No, it bothered me because I was talking about, I mean, really, if you go back to my, if I had an intern, I would have put together all the times I talked about you on my podcast in the sense that, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's very fascinating to me that no, you know, the, the people aren't mentioning where you're directing a classic boys comedy in 1981 that comes out in 1982. I mean, that's unheard of. And it's, yeah, it's, but it was a movie for teenagers. 
they weren't even going to release it uh, in wide. They released it in a couple of hundred theaters just on the West Coast. And then because it was doing well, they released it, you know, in more theaters. So it, it was never at the time given any respect. Um, uh, I know. I mean, you, so I mean, they certainly were not going to make an Oscar campaign for it. No, maybe not. For, I'm just talking about if you're talking about they're talking about female directors. Oh, it's so nice to have female directors. That's the point I'm making. It's like, well, there's been that, you know, if you I always talk about Joan Rivers being even before that and with rabbit tests in 78. And then, of course, Elaine May. Who does get Elaine May? Okay, now we're talking. Right, right, but it's, that deserved but it's like they seem to forget uh, the you know that there 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 have been women directors who have done a lot you know more stuff than just you know bringing out Wonder Woman and, and so you know I'm just but the comedies get passed over and that's of course the issue. Yeah, with that. well, that's and also action movies. I mean, superhero stuff. I mean, there could be that's really right. great superhero things and. And they're not considered Oscar movies. Oscar movies, you know, have a tradition of being serious, somewhat smaller, um, you know, certain level of actors. And, um, you know, you don't think of it with like newcomers and funny and rock and roll music or people having a lot of special effects. You know, it's a, it's always I know, and traditionally that's why they been a different a genre. Yeah, and they got to make so. a change on it because it's, you know, you pass up like that's what I was talking to Violet about. I'm like Groundhog Day should have been completely nominated as the best picture. He should have been nominated for best director, and it should the script should have been nominated. I mean, it was ridiculous, but it's a comedy, so it gets passed over. Well, how about Blazing Saddles? Well, Blazing Saddles won for acting. I mean, uh, for writing. But it got nominated. Um, I don't. Did it win? Yeah. Got, that was seventy four. So it won. So he won. He has not fascinating. And the only one that actually won at all was Annie Hall, I believe. Um, Woody Allen has won, yeah. And uh, um, but those were those were the uh, exceptions rather than the rule. I mean, for the most yeah, part, know. you know, they say when you do comedy, you sit at the children's table, and that's more fun than being with boring adults. Look, she's right? got the, uh, the uh, hilarious uh, gag gag glasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I have a pair of those in my kitchen. That's her granddaughter putting on a big pair of glasses, like a you know, little Jimmy Durante glasses. Yeah, <laughs> there's no frames in those, right? No, there's. Yeah, <laughs> those are my favorite kind. <laughs> she is a cutie pie. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's just so we how but how did you? get and I'm, I'm sorry if you've been asked this question before but how did you work your way into being able to direct a movie like fast times you know did did you meet cameron crow first no actually i had a, a student film <clears throat> that um you know at afi and it was you know being shown to people and um then it was shown to the people at universal and they like were agreeable to me um, at first, they wanted me to sort of um, be on sets like, you know, Quincy and stuff and see how things were being directed and then possibly doing some episodes and, um, you know, sort of working my way up. But they were like amenable to me. Th there were a lot of young executives and very liberal minded and they wanted to get in, you know, people of color and females. And so they were open to that because my film 
was um, acceptable to them. And they thought that I would be able to learn and do what, you know, they needed to have done. Um, what happened was I um, was developing a project and I had um, an office close to Art Linson. And Art Linson, the producer, would show me um, things he was working on and we would talk about them. And then he showed me fast times. And so I had some ideas and he said, well, you want to go talk to the executives? And I was like, you know, I thought this was just us talking about scripts. Um, you know, so I made my lists and um, thought of all the things that I thought would be, you know, work well for the script. And um, when I talked to them, they liked it. And they said, okay, meet with Cameron and met with Cameron. I love him to death. He's, you know, one of my favorite people. Um, and so it, it happened that way. I was like first being like they were going to groom me and, uh, you know, work my way up. But it was Art Linson, really. That's fascinating. Like you said, even that they were looking, they were liberal minded and they were thinking about bringing in people of color and you, and you but you're talking about 1980, 81, you know, it's, it sounds like something you could be talking about today. Like, because it's, it's just so strange that it was It's been a very slow process. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Clearly. But it's, isn't that, and um, I will say, um, again, I, she's my best friend, but Sarah Silverman and I, we, we watched, not only did we see Clueless together in the movies the first time, uh, with our other friend Heidi, we we remember because we couldn't believe how much we enjoyed it. We didn't expect to enjoy it so fully. Now it's my favorite movie of all time, but I'll get to that oh later. My God, I, but it is. I know it's weird for especially for a boy um, who's who's not gay. <laughs> um, it goes uh, clueless than The Godfather, uh, but for me, uh, I know. <laughs> but those. Uh, <laughs> I love when people say like they you did one of my favorite movies and it's like you know this and then they'd mention like Breakfast Club okay you could love the Breakfast Club yeah, but it, like I was going oh you know Clueless and the Bicycle Thief and they go, no well you don't you just seem to understand how uh, you know the mark you've made on a lot of people I think you know you're very modest but uh, it it really is. <laughs> It really is. It is my favorite movie. And I mean, I think I was just asked that recently. And, you know, when you go through favorite movies a lot, like if I had my top five favorite movies, sometimes they change over time. Yeah. It's weird that that one never did. Like I might have dropped Caddyshack after a while or something, you know, like I, I had to put that in the top five, but I had Spinal Tap in there. I'll never drop that. And The Godfather can't drop that. Even if I'm bored of The Godfather now, two years from now, I might want to watch it again. Yeah. It's always been number one. I can't get rid of it. I don't know why. It just works on every level for me. In the writing, in the the the, the movie making itself, the acting, the performances, it's fantastic. But I, I just wanted to say one thing about Fast Times again, or multiple things, <laughs> that um, it's fascinating. You're from New York. You're from the Bronx. Yeah. How did you make two legendary high school movies about California? How does somebody from the Bronx make movies where at least me growing up in New Jersey thinks that's how things are in California? You know, there's um, a history of this in literature, and I'm sorry I haven't like researched and can tell you like yeah, I can't believe you didn't head. research, but go on. <laughs> um, you know, of people coming from one place and then writing about um another you know of their adopted home or of another place and um, i was just thinking about like and, and this is maybe not the good example but when kafka wrote about america 
in Czechoslovakia, um, with the Czech Republic, but, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a classic, but it's, it's interesting because it's his take on the place he's never been to or doesn't know much about. And he's like, and when I first saw the Statue of Liberty holding up her sword and you go, <laughs> yeah, there's something quirky and off because it's an outsider's look at it. And when you're an outsider, you, you have a different way of seeing things and maybe things that people that live there don't think about because it seems normal to them. I mean, the idea that everybody needs a car was weird to me. So I'm going to have a different take on cars and learning to drive than somebody that's like grown up with it. Yeah. Excellent point. And then the weird thing about fast times is like, even though I grew up in New Jersey, you were able to come up with the depiction of every stereotypical person that we knew in high school without, of course, the acting was so Amazing, as we know, because they, they seem to be all Oscar winners now. Uh, but, they, you know, this, we're talking about stereotypical. You're talking about the, uh, you know, the, 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 the stoner, the, uh, the, the football player, the, the guy who always has the, the tickets, uh, the, you know, the, the, um, uh, the guy who always has a job. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating. And we all, especially, you know, grow, I grew up, I was in high school at that time when that movie came out. So it's like, it's like, boy, it, she depicted everything stereotypically, but it, it doesn't come off as stereotypical because the performances are so, you know, outstanding. And it's just as fascinating that, you know, you're able to pull something like that off. It's not easy, especially um, when you're when you're older and reflecting on high school. Well, when you're older and reflecting on it, it may seem like, oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, stereotypical, like, here's the bunch of characters you must have, you know. Um, But at the time, you know, it was fresh enough to me and and to Cameron um, that that was what interested us. And, um, And with Cameron, he met, you know, dozens and dozens of high school students he was interacting with. But the ones that sort of popped and came forward um, were the ones that became his friends or the ones that he found interesting. And uh, so a lot of the filtering happened just by, you know, you go to a place and you meet a bunch of people and those are the ones that stick with you. Yeah, I guess that's the case. It's just uh, it's so good. You know, it's uh, it is. I mean, I assume you had a. Uh a complete hand in the casting. Did you know that these uh, people, I mean, there's, uh, there's three Oscar winners <laughs> and there's, uh, you know, a golden globe winner, a golden globe nominee. And if you count Phoebe Cates, husband, really, that's uh, another Oscar winner you could add in. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he had an husband, but okay. <laughs> no, but, uh, but it's, it's, I mean, you have, I mean, this, this, the lead stoner, who you know goes on to win two Oscars, and and then his best friends all end up being really successful. The odds of the best friends in Anthony Edwards and Nicolas Cage and Eric Stoltz also becoming as just as popular it, it's an unbelievable eye you have, which clearly you do have because you seem to cast flawlessly, including uh, lots of the movies, but, you know, obviously Clueless and Fast Times in, in general. The casting is, does, is the people that go places, I mean, let alone Paul Rudd, we know what, what he's, first of all, that guy, I don't know what kind of aging cream 
he's using or whatever it is. I didn't realize we were the same age. We're friendly. Huh. I mean, you got to be kidding me with this guy. It's not even fair. But um, him and Eric, uh, uh, Jeremy uh, Sisto and uh, Breckenmeyer, I mean, they're all still working today. That's very rare in a, in a movie like yours, in a, in a high school movie. You don't see that a lot. You see a lot of times that you don't hear from those people in 10 years. It's amazing the amount of people that continue to work and work steadily and work good. Um, that's got to be something you see in them over, you know, when you know, you, that that's a visceral response. You know, you see somebody, you like them, you like something about them comes through and, and you, you, you care what's going to happen to them. I mean, you just feel it, you know, and a talent, anybody can see what that is. I don't know. A lot of people don't seem to get it. You don't have a movie as rich as uh, as that. A lot of times they, they'll cast the worry about the lead and maybe one supporting character and the rest is all just people you just forget about. But your movies are, are rich and even the supporting characters, you know? I mean, that's that's the fascination. It's uh, That's hard to do. You know, maybe Scorsese um, does that a lot and stuff, you know, but... That's uh, what's fun to do, especially when you're finding young people. Um. It's something I did recently that wasn't, you know, didn't find a release, but um, I had an 11-year-old Saoirse Ronan in her first part. I can never be your woman. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, she was just a joy. And then to see what she goes on to do, it's, it's you know, that's the fun thing, finding people like that. And I remember when I saw that movie, and first of all, I... That was one of the movies I was going to ask you about because my I think my friend Lawrence Lerman worked for Variety. He did an interview with you and said you were furious that it didn't find a release. And that was when we realized because the cast, you have Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd in a movie. How is that not going to the movie theater? And that's when we realized, I guess that was around 2007, that we realized something is changing in the movie business. Well, because- that was the way that it was financed in the person that you know, made the deals and all of that stuff. And it had nothing to do with like, you know, how people responded at screenings. It was just a thing where he sold off pieces till there was nothing left for anybody that would release it to make any money from. So it was like, it was, uh, it was infuriating, but what can you do? Well, I felt like you, Maybe you could have done so. I mean, at that point, it seems like you. I, mean, I feel bad that it was infuriating for somebody like you. Like, if you can't make that work, then who can? I was. I busy guess that happens all the things the on it that I do. You know. Right. Right. I guess. But it, that was a really fun movie. I liked it a lot, and I oh, love. You. you know, I'm. What I really like that you do that you know we all like, and a lot of people is that. You know, I like that you use the same actors a lot. You know, I love that you will continue to use people you've worked with before. I always like that a lot with directors. It makes me happy um, because it makes it obvious seem they're they're nice to work with because it seems like, you you know, why would you want to work with somebody unless unless it's like, I mean, I don't know what Sean Penn is like, but I mean, <laughs> he seems difficult, but it's like a guy you'd probably work with because he's you know what an unbelievable actor you take the chance but there has to be other people that you're just working with because i'm like i like this person and they're a pleasure to work with and i i love seeing that and that's why i was glad you had a lot of the coolest cat class uh cast in i could never be your woman or or even vamps uh you know where you really use wallace sean obviously well who doesn't want to use that guy i mean um any place any character I will always want to use Wallace Shawn. <laughs> He's in the new Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Uh, Rifkin's festival. 
I believe it's called, right? Wait, the oh, not the one with the rainy day. No, in New York. Uh, the rainy day in New York. He is not in that one. That's Timothy Chalamet. I saw that one. Did you see that? Wait, isn't that isn't there there's a the scene where there's a uh, family dinner with all these intellectuals at the dinner table? Isn't he one of the people? Or am I thinking of a different movie? I can't think. And now I'm think. I wonder if he was in that movie. I don't know if he was. It was a very small part. Uh, but it, it it doesn't ring a bell. But I know he's the lead in the new, the brand new one that was just released. Yeah, yeah. Released at all uh, Rifkin's Festival. It's called. And the reason I know is because I was talking to Louis C.K. and he emails Woody Allen like once a year or something. And mm-hmm. he goes, things are so bad now. I have to use Wallace Shawn as my romantic lead. You know, like, <laughs> like to be safe. <laughs> like, I don't want any trouble. Um, well, you know, Wally is, you're never going to find any bad stuff about Wally anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's what, it, that's what it seems. People really, really like him a lot. And he was so well used and uh, he's so wonderful and clueless, obviously. But um, it's, again, it's just great when you, see, when you reuse the folks that you like, you know, even in, in Loser, I was so happy to see Brian Backer, who you don't see very often. Um, you know, it, it was just so great. You know, when you're like, oh, what happened to that? Oh, here he is. He's in, you know, she gave him another chance, you know. He's great. You know, I mean, things work out differently for different people. But, you know, I mean, it has nothing to do with their talent. Well, I'll tell you something. Talking about that, think about this. I auditioned for the floating light bulb in 1981, <laughs> uh, which Whoa. means if I had gotten that part, uh, <laughs> my whole trajectory might have been different. Uh, because that's, I assume that's where you found him or was he, I, I didn't he see it, but, um, we, you know, everybody knew of him from that. Yeah, and then yeah. he, you know, when we went to New York, he read and it was like, yeah, yeah that's that, it. Right. We well, got it's, him. It's, it's funny when I, so I auditioned for that play because my uh, theater teacher in high school said, listen, I have an audition for you. I was just reading backstage. It's for Woody Allen. And we were all in on that, but he goes, it's like 16 Jewish big nose and i'm like why are you looking at me and it was <laughs> it was like a no-brainer that i had to go audition uh but then when i saw the play i was like i never could have done that performance i i wish i had seen it i you know it was phenomenal and you know like playing a little slow which i don't think i could have done at that time being a 16 year old you really gotta bring your acting chops for that one then so uh, but it's funny because it could you know i mean how weird but and uh, sometimes I see him on the street, in my neighborhood, just walking around. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, well, I used to. I feel like his mother used to live in this neighborhood or something. I see him because I don't see him that much anymore. Uh, or something yeah, like. I was I just thinking I could call him. Um, but I, after the movie came out, and I was in New York, and we were walking around um, downtown and like the village, and this guy comes up to him, going, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" You were so brilliant in the flo- floating light bulb. And, you know, it's it's just a shame you got to do garbage like fast times now. Who would say that? <laughs> and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'm ready to bust the gut. But um, Meanwhile, the floating light bulb, I believe, if I remember, it was B. Arthur and Jack Weston, I think. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty um Just um, – also, with uh, Fast Times, I wanted to ask you something about the uh, the soundtrack. I recently found out you were not pleased with the soundtrack. You wanted to... I didn't know this. I thought I thought it was all you're doing. Like, it was so weird because when I break it down, it's all the 
even though the Eagles had broken up, it's all the Eagles. It's like every one of their solo. It's Don Henley. It's Timothy B. Schmidt. It's Joe Walsh. It's, I mean, it even have life in the fast lane by the, I mean, it's just like, but that you had nothing. You wanted to go, goes, you wanted to go boingo. You wanted to pull more like a, what John Hughes was doing later on. Later. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, that would have changed the, that would have, that would have, I mean, that would have worked completely, but that would have been like, that would have been brilliant because you, it would have been, you know, like foreshadowing the music that we were going to like later, you know, Uh, uh, put it. All right. Here's what happened. When Art Linson and the studio guys told me I could do this movie, I could do this feature movie with a script that I really liked and, you know, but they had made movies with, um, Irving Azoff, the record producer, and all of the records had made more money than the movies, I think. So they said, look, the deal is there's going to be a record. It's going to be Irving's artists and you're not going to be happy. So do you want to make this movie and not be happy? And, you know, (laughs) I wanted to make a movie. Um, So it's like, okay. Um, When it got down to it, they would send me the songs and say, here's the song by Don Henley. And I'd go, who's that? And they'd go, it was one of the Eagles. Now, okay, people are going to hate me for this stuff. Here's a song by, you know, Timothy something. I go, who's that one? And they go, it's one of the Eagles. I'm going, ah. You're like, what's with you and the Eagles? Eagles? I never listened to the Eagles. I like the Ramones. Me too. Um, I'm like an old punk. Um, so I kept getting these songs. It's like this song put in here, this song put in there, this song, find a place. And I, I was doing it, but in the meantime, I put in temporary songs in the other places, like the cars for when she gets out of the water, of course, and the go-go's for the beginning and, you know, all these things that, um, I'm doing a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I put in the songs that I liked in other places. In fact, the Criterion is making a version of uh, Fast Times to come out now. And they wanted to know what the original songs I wanted were. Now, a lot of them, it looks like the people that this choices in there were my choices. They weren't. They were just choices I was told to put in and given. So I never even picked other stuff. In other places, I had stuff I liked that I knew would have to be taken out. Um, so one of those places was uh, when judges washing the car. Raised on the radio? That was the one that huh? used, right? He was raised raised on, the on the radio. Yeah. I didn't, I was not a fan of that song. They may all be lovely people. Um, I just figured that was a good place to feature a song that people knew and liked. So I had highway to hell. Um, (laughs) And and, uh, so then they replaced it and it, you know, without me putting it in. So it doesn't even cut like he's doing something really fast and this music is doing something else. Um, Things like that. And um I think I had some sort of Crystal's Ronette's Christmassy song. And then they took it out and put in something from their library that was kind of a slow Christmas song over the Christmas montage. Um, And things like they did without me, which 
the DGA wouldn't allow now, but at that time, things were in flux and there were a lot of um, strikes because people didn't know how much all this like new VHS stuff would be worth. Right. And how much you should be paid for a song. And so things were left in the air. And so they didn't want to take chances with people that could come back at them later and say, oh, yeah, now we should get this amount of money. So um, the the versions that I saw, you know, when I'd see it on TV or when the VHS came out, it was like, what? What did they do? What is that? So um, I was upset. And then um, at one point, for the very beginning, uh, he wanted me to use Raised in the Radio for the, you know, opening with in the mall. Yeah. And I had in, we got the beat. And they said, no, we're not. You know, you have to feature this song because it'll be a hit. And I said, this is the beginning of the movie. I need like, you know, I need something that's from this decade being the 80s. Um, um, Early 80s, too. But yeah. And they were like, "Uh, no, you have to put in this. And so we were in an agreement and it happened. The head of the studio had to come to the cutting room because we were, Art Linson said it was a bloodbath. <laughs> um, and that, uh, you know, I was like, I was young and I was like, you know, angry. So, and they were like powerful. And it was like somebody had to mediate between us. So um, Tom Mount, who was the head of production, came and I showed him what I wanted. And he, you know, was showing the other stuff. And he said, okay, let's get this. We got the beat. Oh, uh, and then I knew this guy, Danny Elfman. Oh, of course. Um, and I thought, you know, the Oingo Boingo, they were amazing. I love them. And I wanted to use this, you know, he, he showed me some of the songs he had. And he had this like country western song, Goodbye, Goodbye. I had gone to his place with um, the guy that played Arnold who had to take a piss. <laughs> yeah. it's a, and, it's a hell of a piss, Arnold. And, you know, we liked that song, but it was like, you know, wrong tone. And, and Arnold, you know, Scott Thompson, he said, but that's like, that's a really good song. And, you know, then uh, Danny said he couldn't make it, you know, that kind of that song, but make it a pop version. And so he did that. And that worked out to be the end song. Um, and then when we, I heard, I'm not sure, somebody said that, you know, uh, when I was suggesting Boingo Boingo stuff, um, that the producer, the music producer was very angry and threw it against the wall. <laughs> and um, uh, One of those things you can't, I mean, nobody had heard of Oingo Boingo in 1981. You know, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I went to college, I worked on a, uh, a radio station that was a college radio station. I, and that's when I maybe heard of them and maybe 83 or four. I mean, you were, you know, that's, you can't almost blame somebody be like, she wants to use what? But yeah, but then you so listen well. to it, and if you're in the music business, maybe you say, "Hey, these guys have something." Well, of course, that's the thing. You have to trust the director; she knows what uh, what's going to fit with the movie. That that's the that's the. Or part. you know, you you listen to good music if you, that's your job and you like it. Whatever. Um, it's funny you mention about the opening because that it's a good thing you fought for that because there'd be nothing worse if you can't set the tone of the movie. Everything else doesn't work. And I remember, do you know Bill Persky? Have you ever? Uh, 
you know him? So I used to work with him, and he told me he directed the movie Serial in 1980. Uh-huh. And was very upset because the studio changed the opening song. And he felt that affected the whole movie, and that's why it didn't do very well. Because wow. the opening song set up the entire movie. Yeah, it's an important place. I mean, I I go, okay, I have to use this here. I have to use that there. But the opening, come on. Right. And the closing. The closing is like. Goodbye, goodbye. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) But um, so at one point they said, well, we're not going to pay for it um, for Go-Go's. And, uh, you know, what else? And I said, well, there's this punky song that I like, uh, Kim Wilde, Kids in America. And, um, but then they won't, nobody knows this song. All right, I'll wait. You You opened Clueless with it. And Mm -hmm. you had it in the Clueless musical. Yeah. In fact, that was the the anthem in the Clueless musical, right? Didn't they uh, also end the show with that? They ended it with it. Yeah. Yeah, You were very kind. I saw the Clueless musical uh, and you got me tickets. It was very exciting. Uh, I got to meet you that day. That was like really fun. What's going to happen? I mean, Broadway sucks uh, now at this point. It's uh, what's the plan? I know there's no plan really. But. Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's a, like next step, which would be changing a lot of things and going uh, and w- making it for and talking with doing it in England. You know, right, I guess that's you, you always start somewhere else, but they England were, uh, now is surging too. So what the fuck? Yeah. They were about to do back to the future, the musical in England. And, um, and everything got shut down with the uh, I had David Yazbek on my show uh, a couple of weeks ago. He had just done Tootsie on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And he said Broadway was I said Broadway was supposed to come back in June of 2021. He goes, no, it won't be until. like No, they've been saying, OK, next spring. It's like, mm, I don't know. So again, to mention Sarah Silverman again, I, because she is my friend and best friend. I love her. Tell her hi. I will. Um, She's great. She was planning a Broadway musical that was supposed to open May 20th of 2020 uh, called The Bedwetter based on her book written by the great Adam Schlesinger, who died oh. of COVID on April 1st. Yeah. Oh, I love him. He was. We the, wanted to talk to him about doing some stuff for Clueless. Oh, you guys would have been perfect. Right. That was around the same time as uh, that thing you do, I guess, in which he ended up doing the thing. Right. I mean, he's. Boy, was he's the most talented person. Oh, amazing. That, oh, that's what a tragedy that is. That was the, you know, and it's weird. He died April 1st of COVID, and then I didn't hear, and I thought half my friends were going to die. And then he was the only one that I knew, you know, whatever. And it's so sad. And then, um, knock and wood, don't say the sunny. (laughs) Right. But yeah, and he was, and this, the bedwetter is great. And now it's just who knows what will happen with it. And your musical was great. Why, why did you choose to use, um, you know, regular 90s, uh, you know, songs instead of making an original soundtrack? Um, that's something I, you know, everybody was like, don't do that. Don't do that. But I just I really like that. You, you know, I like it was. I never seen anything like it. Uh, what Amy did was t- take the musical and take songs from the '90s, like the Crash Test Dummies and and things like you know, because uh, she's so high. That kind of those songs. Yeah. Um, and you changed the lyrics. Uh, yeah, I mean, nobody's ever done that before. But well, Weird Al does it all the time. But <laughs> well, yes, yes, that, that's his. That's and his I love problem. it. I just, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's what I do. You know, around the house. You know. <laughs> 
And so I thought, well, everybody will get that. But people are like, no, you can only do a jukebox musical about the singers that made those songs, or you can do original. And I was like, oh, why do I always have to follow the rules? Right, exactly. Who's telling you that at this point? Everybody. That's pathetic. Um, I mean, I like original songs. I like, you know, I like when you go, I see all the, uh, in fact, the first, the day you uh, called me for the first day, and left a message on my machine. I was at the, uh, I was intermission of pretty woman, the musical. I see all the movies that are made of, of all the movies. musicals that are made of movies. Yeah. I saw, I saw King Kong. I saw bring it on the musical. I see everything. That's why I was excited. <laughs> so I like to see how they're going to put it together. So at least it was, it was, uh, it was dub camera was really good. And, uh, that guy who played Travis, when he sang the crash, Dust dummy song, that was like, I a- love him. He was in once, Oh, um, that makes sense. I, I loved that play. It was fantastic. Uh, I was so surprised I liked it. I didn't think I would. And the guy who opened the play was, what's his name? Sean, was it Sean Patrick Flint? He was in The Warriors. And uh, it was funny. I, I didn't recognize him. He was older. But I, right as soon as he comes on, he's strumming his guitar or ukulele at the beginning of Once. And I recognized him right away. Uh, he's in. He always plays the villain. He's in uh, 48 Hours and uh-huh, Mando uh-huh. and... It was just so funny. I didn't expect to see him in a musical. So it's funny when he opens the show coming out yeah. on stage and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, and you like seeing, uh, you know, stuff like that all the time. But yeah, I didn't, I was, he, was he the lead in once that the guy who, who played? Drama? No, 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 no. He was, was the, the Irish movie. guy. And I thought he was Irish. Um, so that's how good he was. He felt, yeah, but he's from Jersey. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, well, and the then good news know, is, if yeah. you if you if Broadway does come back and you can do it, Dove Cameron will is will still be okay to play the. Uh, she won't age anytime soon, so I think you'll be okay at least. If you want to keep using her, she was terrific, really terrific. Oh, cool! I, of, I love uh, her. She's I know a, a lot of girls, not in this way, but like your granddaughter's age, you know, who friends have kids, and when they found out that I saw a play with Dove Cameron, they get so excited <laughs> from Disney uh, stuff. But, yeah, but you do. Are you are going to continue trying to do the musical if and when things go back to normal? If and well, yeah. I mean, still trying to, you know, have phoner conversations with different, looking for, you know, different characters to do different things in it and add some music and you know all of that. And so, but you know, sometimes it just gets like slow, like you know, just having phone work with people just it doesn't have the yeah well listen i mean you you know i wanted you to come down to the comedy cellar so that we talk in person it's a good fun way to do a podcast and then i was gonna you know i I eat dinner afterwards i do that for all my podcast guests oh it's completely unacceptable well i'll think of you when i'm eating dinner (laughs) (laughs) thank you but um yeah let me just uh talk to you about clueless a little because um it really is my favorite movie of all time i think a lot had to do it. We all had, please don't take this the wrong way. We all had those illegal cable boxes in 1995. So yeah. Everybody had them and it was on a loop. So me and all my friends, everybody I knew, and my friends owned this wonderful bar restaurant that they have sat in at live parties in, and the whole staff and everybody had the box. So we all knew all the lines and we would all sit and just <laughs> say all the lines from Clueless. And quite frankly, I mean, it's amazing because I still know all the lines when I, I saw Jeremy Sisto in a play once 
because uh, one of my friends was in the play as well. This girl, Mia Barron, who's very talented as well. And we went out to have a couple of drinks after. And me and this kid are just doing lines from Clueless. He was like a gay 19-year-old kid. And Jeremy's like, wait, I ain't. I understand why he knows all the lines, but you and me are the same. Why do you know all the lines? And I'm like, it's it. The lines are epic. They're amazing. And I, I mean, I compare it to Arthur, something like Arthur, where every single line is gold. I mean, there's not one lost bit of dialogue in it. The fact that you're able to write something like that is. uh, I didn't write it. (laughs) You didn't write Clueless. Oh, Clueless. Oh, I thought you were talking about No, Arthur, I know Steve Gordon did. I mean, it's such a, I mean, this guy, he died right afterwards. It's such a shame this guy could have been, you know, making great movies forever. Uh, Uh, But I consider Arthur and Clueless in the sense that there's no, there's no spots in these movies where I want to turn it off, where I, where I'm watching on a cable. I'm like, I've had enough. There's not one slow spot. You know, I mean, Dan Hedaya is every single line Dan Hedaya has in the movie is even just like, Dad, this is my friend Ty. Get out of my chair. You know I can't I mean? take credit for that. That's my father. <laughs> yeah, well, you can take credit for all of it because you remember that your father said it and then you put it in. So that's that's how he meets people. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're able to, you know, transpose it into somebody else saying it, then you win. Let alone um what's with you, kid? Did the death of Sammy Davis have an leave an opening in the rat pack? I mean, I've a I've a Anytime if I don't have any kids, but if I did, if I met a boy, I'd be like, listen, I have a, uh, what was it? I have a a shovel and a 45. I doubt anyone would miss you. I mean, I can't take credit for that. That's my brother. But you can take credit because when you remember all those lines, that is the key. Remembering it. So, so, so you go to Beverly Hills High School to observe. You know, you're going to make this movie clueless, which of course again is a miracle that somebody could make two quintessential high school movies in one lifetime that are epic. But you you go to Beverly Hills High to observe some of the kids, right? Yeah. So you're sitting there because the dialogue you came up with, it's something like we don't know those lines where when you're, you know, older, I don't, I don't know how old you were when you were making it, but I'm sure you were obviously out of high school and you come up with, here's the four one one on, you know, Mr. Such and that he's getting her digits. I mean, the, the, the dialogue that you're using that couldn't have just been, I mean, it's amazing. You were able to retain that information because there was no internet back then. You couldn't just say, I need something. You, you weren't able to look it up of what the vernacular would be. You know, if you're thinking you can look things up even in a world before internet. You see, there were books. Well, right. You had to go to the library. Right? Yeah. And there was classes on linguistics at different colleges where they did studies of modern slang. And you get the reports and you read them. And I compiled dictionaries for myself. So because um, wow. let's say I say something is really good. Well, I don't want to have people going really when you qualify um a noun or an ag- you know an adjective to say it's very much what you're saying. Uh, that's one of the places where you really um, can show where the person comes from, how much money they have, how old they are. If I'm going to say uh, that's a totally stupid idea or a way stupid idea, or that idea is stupid AF, all those things that qualify that word tell you a lot about me. So, um, so that every time I'm writing a line, I don't have to like stop. I would have 
very, and then I list all the ways to say very, I would have good and have all the ways to say good. And, you know, and then I have a dictionary. So while I'm writing, I'm thinking this person's older, this person's hipper, this person's into music, this person's black, this person's white, this person's poor. Um, And then I had the words right there. Yeah, but that could go so horribly wrong if you use them too much or if you use them too little. I mean, you and look at all the work you put into writing a comedy script. I bet you people have no idea how much that you, you know, like you said, you were reading and you were doing work on the outside. I mean, I guess that's what, you know, it all paid off. It, you don't hear a lot about that. I think a lot of people think that you make a comedy script and you're just like, you know, writing it and it just does, writes itself in a way. But look at all the work you put in and totally it was amazing. I well, think then somebody... people would tell me like they're working on a TV show and the network gives them a list of words that they heard were cool that have to be given to those stars in that show to say. And that, you know, so there's different ways where it comes down to you, where you're being told how it is, where they're looking to exploit something or somebody mentions, you know, this is an alaya, like you can't make me get on the ground, which you know, means something to me in one way, but then they think, oh, the thing to do in movies now is to mention all the names of the designers. So uh, they're being told how many places they have to put in the names of the products and that, and then they, you know, so you could do it where you're just ripping off other stuff or you're taking the wrong things from it and making it stupid, you know? Yeah. No, but it's just, uh, it's so, I think about, uh, I was thinking about Diablo Cody, who did Juno, where she kind of has a whole world of terms and phrases that we were unaware of until that movie came out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's, that kind of thing is, you know, really, which again, should have been nominated. I was looking it up, uh, the usual suspects won that year. I guess we could let that go. <laughs> but uh you know again but then I, everybody ignores that now because kevin spacey's in it and they uh, also <laughs> ignore braveheart because mel gibson uh did it so it's uh that that was a bad year where see your thing should still be celebrated <laughs> yeah um but you know obviously with juno and, and with diablo cody she's somebody that did the work right that she did the work you know what would this girl say and what would these other you know for real, not for, you know, here's the latest thing that's hip. Yeah, I know. But it's so every line is is really gold. And again, it's not just that that kind of an actor. It's also just the, the like we just I mean, the stuff you're pulling from your brother or your father. It's like, uh, I mean, it really I mean, it's got to all work. And it's and it just seems I mean, you're really good at making a punchline. And uh, again, I do compare it to Arthur, a, a movie that I believe actually was nominated for Best Screenplay. And um doesn't it doesn't seem fair maybe you were overlooked because you're a woman which of course makes you uh makes anybody angry at that time you know yeah but they had what john gilgood in it yeah he won i mean you know they didn't say like you know here's john gilgood from the uh, aerosmith videos um (laughs) true but but (laughs) it was a supporting lead uh but uh well you had uh well you had uh ray walston and uh in fast times Richmond. hi i wonder if uh, he seemed like a nice man but uh I haven't heard anything bad about him, but I wonder if he was like uh, somebody who was like, why am I doing this thing? And then, of course, years later, was like, thank you so much for putting me in this 
epic that thing that's now epic and you know legendary was he like that at all i mean um he he's great and i'm a huge fan of his and you know um he in working with sean penn sean penn you know would like to uh improvise and say like on on Ray's close-up, Sean would be like going off and saying very insulting, harsh things to get a rise out of him. And Ray Walston pulled me and said, you tell that young man I'm not even... (laughs) I go, okay. But I didn't. Um, Yeah, what do you um, mean? Talk to him. Isn't that fascinating? Even Sean Penn, even then, when when he's like nobody, he's just like, no, no, I stick to my guns. You got to respect it, right? (laughs) You know, people say, what's it like working with Sean Penn? And the thing is... um, I don't know what it's like working with him if he would be a psychotic murderer character. Working with Spicoli was fun. Right. <laughs> Good point. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Apparently he's always in the moment which could be scary or or, or great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that's uh what was the other thing I was gonna Oh yeah, I was uh I was talking about the I with Taylor Negron. Yeah, such um, a lovely guy, and we were just becoming friendly just before he died, and it was so what a great, great soul, what a wonderful oh. person he was, and he he was so, and I was so again, I was so happy in Vamps when you brought him back to do the pizza delivery guy again. It's like you know, because when you do something like this, somebody gets it, you know. When I, I didn't know you at the time, I didn't know anything. I was just like see this is a person that completely gets what we want to see <laughs> like that's going to make us happy uh, and it's the same line who ordered the double che- double sausage and cheese? <laughs> i mean it's so great and he, he was so obviously you you were friendly with him as well besides being in uh, you know working together right because i think we had spoken about that once before yeah he was such a talent such a chameleon uh, you forget how many different kind of roles he played uh, you know, if it, I didn't have to look him up, I just know offhand, you know, even just going from something like Fast Times to Easy Money uh, or to uh, uh, The Last Boy Scout. I mean, these are punchline punchline, of course. Right. Yeah. I mean, the guy was uh, always hey, working, and, dogs. He, <laughs> and he was directing a lot of uh, theater and stuff when I had, for uh, you know, started being coming friends. He was directing a lot of one person shows. He was really into helping a lot of people. And I think I do these uh, shows at the comedy. So I was doing these shows. Um, I would change uh, scripts like the Godfather and uh, Goodfellas. And we redo them, you know, with, with all the comics and, you know, Judy gold and, and people like that. And just have every grease Judy gold mm-hmm. playing Rizzo if that writes itself. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he would have been a part of that every time. I mean, if he was a lot, I, mean, I just know it and he would have been great. And he, he's just so much fun and people just worshiped him. And that's just that's they worship him from the one line he does in your movie, you know. What I mean, that's how big that that movie is, and those like a a small character like that, and people just well, I had to think, you know, because he was so lucky for me in in Fast Times. So like I had him, um, he delivers the dead body in Johnny Dangerously, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I just wanted. I thought I would love. You know, just for Taylor to come into every movie and deliver something. <laughs> I think that's the way uh, Gary Marshall used to talk about. Is it Hector? Uh, yeah, Elizondo uh, El- 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 or so, something yeah, he, like that. Yeah, that that was his good luck charm. Yeah, though so he would use him all the time. Uh, but I guess everybody has one of those, so I don't know. But 
Yeah, just I just uh, also we were talking about I was talking about Clueless. I'm friends with this uh, woman, Victoria, who used to be on the Cosmo channel on Sirius XM. And they would just be talking about the fashion, which is amazing. I mean, you know, to, uh, you know, they uh, Alicia Silverstone got, I think, last year got on the cover of Vogue in her old yellow plaid uh, outfit, yeah. that, which is uh-huh. now a legendary. I mean, this is like Annie Hall stuff, you know, when it just becomes a fashion statement. It's it's phenomenal. It did. Did you have somebody working on that to make sure it was? I mean, because you uh, you said that when you went to Beverly Hills High, they weren't wearing that stuff. You chose oh, no, to make no, it like no, this. no. I mean, and this is not you know a realistic look at high school. This is a comedy of manners. This is you know a sort of you know Fred Astaire's uh, movies were not the way things were really like in the thirties. I mean, it's just. Here's here's like a fun alternate universe. But that's the way it works on both levels because I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, oh my god, I bet you that's how they dress in Beverly Hills. I don't know. I mean, I was watch. I saw it in New York City, but I'm from New Jersey. I thought that's the way people dress, so I had no problems with it. And then if you are going there, they're probably like, oh, this is hilarious. I mean, it works on all the different levels, and it was hilarious. I mean, just even the opening scene where she comes to pick up Dion, and and you have the. Uh, was the dialogue where they say they're all named after uh, people? That Great singers of the past now. who now right. do infomercials. infomercials like. No, I don't think anybody knows what that means anymore. Not anymore, but, I guess. Know. But I remember, we, I remember that's how the movie starts off, and we were laughing hysterically, and just uh, it was just so. Then it's like one of those things, like the opening, and you know you're in for a good ride. You know, even when Dion comes down the stairs in that ridiculous outfit that nobody could possibly wear. I guess you're right. Maybe I did know, and then maybe I was well. Just, there was a sort of rave culture going on and, um, and grunge and then designers sort of like, you know, they see what's happening and make their fancy versions of it. So there was like designer grunge wear and there was like, like the Dr. Seuss hats was kind of a <laughs> right. Rhythm. That's what she was wearing. At the so she would have the designer version of it. And, you know, I thought, yeah, Sherry even says that she she makes bold choices in the in the movie. She's like, yeah. she, um, also, you know what I wanted to tell you about that the party scene in the valley. I was watching it the other uh, I don't know a month ago or so, and I was thinking to myself, it's uh, fascinating because it it's 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 black and white, and there's just as many black people as there are white, and you didn't see that in a lot of movies, even including in the nineties. You know, let alone in fast times when you're depicting and everybody's afraid of the one black guy who goes to school. And you're like, I thought they only flew him in for games. Uh, I mean, that's just the the way the world that it was. But that's why that's such an interesting movie. There's no, you know, just they're all working together. And it makes you be like, you know, let's let's live in a world like this. I I was thinking about that's my alternate universe. You know, what if there was a world where everybody is equally rich and happy? (laughs) But isn't that wonderful, though? Isn't that a nice message to send out to everybody? You know, where they're, you know, it just works. They're the, the, I think it was very, this is a good question. I didn't think about asking this, but uh, your thought of having her best friend being, you know, of of color, uh, was that a tough choice or was that an easy choice? Or was that something you were looking to do? being at Stacey Dash. It's just what I thought I'd do. And it, it didn't seem like it, it just what I wanted. That's funny. You just don't see a lot of movies back then that, that, you know, they just have a best friend that happens to be, uh, you know, African-American or whatever you call it now that you're not going to get in trouble. Uh, and, uh, and that they, it's not even discussed, never discussed. Well, no, why should it Beautiful. be discussed? It just exactly. is. But that's why, but 
you don't see a lot of movies like that. That's why it was great. It's great. Like you said, everybody, I, I never think about it as something like more like a Fred Astaire. Everybody's living in this little dream world. It's not. Yeah. It's my little fantasy world. Do you know how many times I go out to Los Angeles and they say, I'll, I'll be everywhere in LA takes 20 minutes. Yeah. I use that line all the time. That's what I tell people all the time. There's so many days I use a, uh, the lines from the movies. And also I think when you have the, uh, you had a line in Vamps, which was so ahead of its time. I haven't seen the movie uh, since I guess it came out, but I remember this one line where you said you were talking about every boy has a podcast nowadays. <laughs> like, and that was 2011 and turned out, wow. and now you're living it because you're on this podcast. <laughs> because I was probably the last person to get one, but it was, uh, yeah, I totally remember that line. I'm like, boy, that's, that's, uh, is that true? And then uh, it, it is true. <laughs> you're, you're good at predicting the future somehow. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, what are you working on now besides the, oh, the musical? Like, that's, uh, I can't because, you know, the evil eye will hear. And oh, I, I understand. Okay. So, but uh, let me ask you this one other thing and I'll let you go. And I appreciate your time. And I know you're really, really busy. Um, I noticed that you really get, when you're in a project, you're into it. I have this friend, Mike Royce, and he is the uh, showrunner for the one day at a time, the Latino version uh-huh. uh, Netflix. And every time this guy does a show, and we've been friends for years, we went to college together. When the show gets canceled, he did men of a certain age, uh, he did some other show on CBS. When it gets canceled, he's like all into it. He's like, we got to get it to another network. We got to get into another network. And I feel like you're like that because I was very surprised to see that you were involved with the Fast Times of Ridgemont High TV series and very involved with the Clueless TV series, where a lot of times the writer directors just don't want to be involved when it goes to another level. That was interesting. It was different reasons for both. First, um, they were already doing a Fast Times TV show. And um, they asked me to direct the pilot or something. Um, and that was already like up and running. And, you know, uh, I had just had a baby. And so I was like, well, you know, what could I do where I'm just like could be with my baby, but could also just work on something that's not too long and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then I got into it. And so. I did more and more things on it and, you know, helped with the casting and all of that and um, got into being one of the producers. So, but it wasn't like, oh, I just did this movie and now I'm going to, but with Clueless, I kind of, um, I could see how just staying in that world, you know, not with Paul Rudd and Alicia, but like just to continue that feeling and, you know, and also to have Wally around and see him every day. So that's fun. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, you know, and, and continue him. with other stories of teenagers and that time of growing up and finding yourself and finding romance and all of that. That could go on forever. I like that stuff. And I used to love watching, you know, Patty Duke and Gidget. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. And that, that show, the TV show lasted three seasons, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I was only around for the first, you know, six. Um, So, yeah. Would you ever think to do any other television work? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, television, you mean like streaming or network or whatever? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I guess at this point, yeah, I guess you would. Why wouldn't you? Everything is. Everything is streaming. 
So if you want to call that television, you could watch it on a computer or a television or whatever. Well, you were talking about the Criterion. You were talking about the Criterion collection of films, right? That, that yeah. they, they have all the classics. I heard, I think HBO Max now has a lot of their collection. And you're talking about Criterion taking on Fast Times? I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that right the now, highest the of honor? <laughs> I have to do is like they want to throw in also my student films and find you know, my original cut of, you know, Judge with Highway to Hell. And yeah, so really? like now oh, I'm boy, that would be helping them else. find this stuff. And, and, you know, I have to like call people that are staying at my house and go, could you look around and see if you <laughs> see this 35 millimeter reel that's like in my closet? Someone's like, <laughs> wow. Oh, boy, that yeah. would be, that would be really exciting. That comes out. That's the kind of stuff everybody's looking for. And everybody's looking for something to watch. We're all home. Oh, well, if you're looking for something to watch, I, I've been making people watch this on the Criterion Collection, the Scorsese stuff. They have his student films. Have I seen that? Re- oh, no, it was Brian De Palma's I was looking at. I no, think. watch Scorsese's student film. Oh, It's okay. not just you, Murray. Oh, great. Yeah, it's like that. you go, it's like a baby Scorsese. Yeah, I guess I saw the uh, De Palma, I guess from me from five years ago on Netflix, they had a film called De Palma, and it's just him talking, but it all goes back to his student films as well, with Robert De Niro in them, yeah. which is unbelievable. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, but Scorsese might have those too. <laughs> I mean, maybe with Robert De Niro, I mean, it's... Uh, Actually, so Brian De Palma, because, I mean, if you see his, what was it, Greetings or Hi, Mom? And there's a scene where he's rehearsing with the in the closet with brooms. It's like you looking at me, you look at me, and you go like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, is that unbelievable? Yeah, yeah. They all, uh, I guess, they all kind of knew each other and they hung around. Well, that's what they said. They all did know each other. Was, yeah, yeah. You know, is that uh, Easy Riders and uh, what's that book, uh, Raging Bulls? About yeah. everybody when they were all young. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Francis Ford Coppola's in that too, and. Yeah, that that group of uh, of folks, I guess Spielberg too, and stuff goes right there. They were saying, he was saying they were auditioning Carrie and Star Wars at the same time. They decided to do it together, which is fascinating. You know, <laughs> it's like Amy Irving could have been Princess Leia, and William Cat could have been uh, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I, don't know, I always find that kind of stuff fascinating. But uh, yeah, well. Um, Anyway, I just I just want to say thank you so much. Oh, I just have to say also I have a Patreon follower. Robin Pittsburgh thinks Loser was very underrated. I have to say thank that. you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, I remember thinking I was like, wow, if she goes for the college film and this works, she could have the hat trick of uh, you know kids movies because you would have the eighties, the nineties, and the two thousands. Oh well. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for doing. I cannot. I am so happy that you came on it was mostly just me saying thank you so much for i mean i really just love i mean i love fast times but i just think clueless is absolutely flawless every line of dialogue is brilliant and they just don't there aren't a lot of movies like that that you can say about that and uh, thank you for for making it (laughs) and thank you for entertaining us for all these years and and for obviously being a very very lovely person Got to meet you for this one hour and let alone uh, the people I've met in your life, your daughters or whatever, whatever Violet is. I don't know. <laughs> um, very nice people. Oh, so, they're yeah, the best. Must be doing I love some Violet. Really good. My Molly's amazing. So yeah. Um, 
you must be doing something very good. Your granddaughter seems very nice. I mean, just wasn't bothering you the whole time. Just, you know, like, I mean, that's hard, you know, because they're all bored and they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing now? Well, that's that's usually her time. It's like after I take care of my mother and breakfast and that and clean and then it's her time. And then now I'm making dinners. And so, you know, it's uh, look at you, just a regular Joe. (laughs) Well, we're all in our little bubbles here. Yeah, I guess so. Well, anyway, it was very nice to meet you, and thank you so much. Great to meet you. Great podcast. Thank you. And, yeah, I hope when it it all ends, uh, when the Comedy Cellar reopens. see each other in person. uh, Yeah, I always put Gilbert up, and that's hilarious. uh, Oh, my hero. Yeah, he was just on my podcast uh, last week, and they moved down to Florida during this time. Yeah. Oh, okay, just for this time. Not for good. We'll see. But right now, Uh, they just moved them all down. They're like, what's the point? No. Uh, yeah, I hope he comes back. But he's hilarious, obviously. So when things get back to normal, let's take you know, come down, have a nice night, enjoy. Comedy. Sounds great. Yeah. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay, like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? And it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? People came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, squish in extra place settings, and, like, people were on mismatched chairs and all. But by the end of the day, it was, like, the more the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. Oh, well, this is a really good school. Mr. Hall was way harsh. He gave me a C minus. <laughs> well, he gave me a C, which drags down my entire average. Hello? There was a stop sign. I totally paused. You tried driving in platforms. Oh, should I write them a note? <gasps> Ew, get off of me. Ah, oh, as if. Cher's got attitude about high school boys. It's a personal choice every woman has got to make for themselves. Cher is saving herself for Luke Perry. Cher, you're a virgin? I mean, I'm not prude. I'm just highly selective. I mean, you see how picky I am about my shoes, and they only go on my feet. Nice stems. Thanks. What the hell is that? A dress. Says who? Calvin Klein. I'm gonna be a supermodel. What are you doing? Yo, you're getting on the freeway. Get on the doesn't want me doing any activity where balls fly at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. I'm gonna be a supermodel.